Welcome to this week's episode of Graveyard Coffee Talk. We're your hosts, Amanda and Corinne. And uh, we've got a bit of a special episode this uh, month. We are live from Arrive Brewing here in Louisville, Kentucky, with author Jenny Keeper to discuss her debut novel, This Wretched Valley. Hello. We are so excited to have you. We've been, I think Amanda has honestly been planning this since we started the podcast. Yeah. Like, I think this might be why she wanted to do the podcast. Um, sure. We'll go with that. Everything is uh, on Jenny's schedule. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, to start with, I think we can talk about what we're drinking here at Arai. They so graciously made a specialty cider for Jenny's book launch here. It is the Sylvia Skeleton. It's really good. It's a blood orange cider. It's delicious. Um, Alright, so Jenny picked which, which deck we're drawing from. I had to go with the demon deck. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah no, it, it felt right. This was actually, I literally just got this deck this week, so this is the first time I've used it. And we got Hyman, who is a king of hell, who, uh, when he is summoned, he wants loud music and lots of awesome adulation, and he is knowledgeable in the arts and the sciences and philosophy, <laughs> and, you know, he knows about the past, present, and the future, but he's kind of a pretentious ass, so, like, the card is warning you to not be too abrasive, which, I mean... As long as I've known you, I don't think that's a problem. I don't think that's a problem. Maybe I'm the pretentious ass. You didn't know me in high school. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> I wasn't going to bring that up. No. <laughs> All right. Anyway, that's uh, that's the card. This Again, it's the Demon Tarot by Ariana Osborne. The art's really fun. It's like woodcuts of all the different demons. That is really fun. Yeah, I love it. Um... All right. So to dive in, uh, I don't know, Jenny, if you remember, sometime in 2020, you sent me an email that said, why does my brain only work right at three in the morning? Look at what I just woke up and wrote. (laughs) I don't remember sending you that email, but I definitely remember what I wrote. (laughs) Yep. And uh, that became the opening uh, for this wretched family. Yeah, that was a very strange experience. Um, the only time I think it will ever happen where uh, literally like the words woke me up and I had to like get out of bed and get them like I was typing into my phone at like three in the morning and a lot of that three in the morning random uh, spurt of words like actually is still made it to the final version of the book. Yeah. You should send me that email because I want to compare. 
I've been trying to find it because I, I know the first sentence is the same mm-hmm. because that's stuck in my head. Yeah, the first then. sentence never changed. Uh, that opening is a banger for sure. <laughs> um, well, uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about for people who are not familiar with this wretched valley? Can you give us a little bit of an elevator pitch? Maybe walk us through the process a little bit. Yeah, so it is inspired by, not based on, because I think I've seen a lot of people get that confused. It is very much just inspired by the Jatla Pass incident, but it's not based on it at all. Um, it was just um, a very, very much an inspiration. And it's about these four hikers who go into the Kentucky wilderness and they think that they are finding the next hot rock climbing spot, but they are actually being lured there by an evil sentient forest. Yeah. <laughs> Which honestly makes the, you had to wake up at 3 a.m. to write the first bit even creepier, so. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that actually does lead me into my very first question for you. Hey, Jenny, what the fuck? Um, well, if you would like that answer or if you have any grievances, you can call my hotline, which is 502-755-6381. That's 502-755-6381. It is well worth a call. Worth your time. Uh, it's 24-7. You can call it whenever you want. Oh, God. I I felt vindicated when I was adding your book to Storygraph and all of the reviews were like, what the fuck did I just read? <laughs> like, that was an overwhelming. But, like, you know, in an affectionate yes. way. Yes. The, a high compliment. Yes. So, uh, you know, things I definitely don't actually know, having known you since second grade, but... <laughs> Have you always been a horror fan? And what is it about horror specifically as a genre that draws you in? Um, yeah, I think I've always liked horror, and it's probably my mom's fault, too, is selling <laughs> books across the brewery here. Um, so, you know, I had that typical pipeline of, like, Goosebumps to Fear Street to, like, more adult horror books. Um, and I've always loved Halloween and just really, I don't know what, what, I can't say like what draws me to it. I think that's true of a lot of people's hobbies. Like you don't really know what it is necessarily. It's just something you're drawn to. Yeah. Okay. I don't, does not compute for me, but I'm glad it's worked out (laughs) stupendously for you. Um, but I know in addition to having your debut novel coming out, you also run Louisville's favorite horror bookstore, Butcher Cabin Books, mm-hmm. and you work, and you are a writer. How yeah. do you balance all of that? Um, well, it is very difficult. I would not necessarily recommend this path for anyone, but yeah, it's just like a lot of time management and um, deadlines and trying to figure out, like, prioritizing what needs to go where and what when you need to do what. How do you, asking for me, honestly, how do you stick to your own deadlines? Um, I try to do like a daily word goal um, and try to um, stick to that and give myself some leeway. Um, But I will be honest that like an external deadline is uh, much more effective. I think everyone can relate to that a little bit. 100%. Well, unless it's the external deadline that makes you go, well, fine, now I'm not doing it. Yeah, well. And you're 
traditionally published. We've mostly been talking to indie authors. Mm-hmm. So was that more like external pressure for those deadlines or like how how do you feel that helped you in your development of the novel? Yeah, I mean, I was work. I um, did a program called Pitch Wars, which was um, like a mentoring program, and that had like a pretty strict deadline. So I think that did help me um, with like the deadlines that I had for editing, because um, like the Pitch Wars program was like this really brief, like one and a half to two months, like mentoring program where you're doing this like developmental edit in that time, and it's a really big edit. Um, and so I think that definitely helped a lot um, with the, it's, it's really weird traditionally publishing because it's like so slow to get usually from like when you sell the book to like when it's actually out. So like that process was like two years from when my agent sold the book to when it like now just came out. But, um, but then all the deadlines in between are like really quick. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I know just from conversations we've had over the past few years that you went down a bit of a rabbit hole when you were researching the history of the Wilderness Road as you were writing this book. Is there anything that stuck with you that you couldn't find a way to incorporate in the book? Or is there anything that knowing the backstory of might make certain scenes more impactful. Yeah, this came up um, last night, actually. I think one thing that um, I had uh, somebody who read the book say, like, oh, now that you say that, that clicks. So the Wilderness Road is like the 1792 section, and it is, um, it was based in, like, the coldest winter in Kentucky, and, um, like, so cold that almost all wildlife died. The trees would freeze, like, the sap in the trees would freeze, and they would crack, and then, you know, like, when the spring came, it all thawed, and there was just, like, gross animal corpses everywhere, and just, like, all of that, you know, melting into the river where they get their water. Great. (laughs) Jenny, no. What could go wrong before, you know, modern antibiotics? Jenny, no. (laughs) Well, we don't have to live in that time period. If you have access to a time machine, don't go to Kentucky in 1792. Not a plant. Not a plant. (laughs) Uh, Piggybacking off of that absolutely horrifying mental image that you have just given me, um, as a rock climber and outdoor enthusiast yourself, uh, any creepy things you've ever seen in the woods? Um, not really creepy, but like I think the scariest thing is just um, a massive amount of ticks from the Hoosier National Forest. Yeah, that's valid. That's, um, no, Mm-mm. we uh, we went to uh, just like do a camping, a hiking trip. We literally got there, hiked to the nearest, like the first available like open spot to set up tent, and just like me, my spouse, and my dog just covered in ticks. And so we immediately oh. just left. <laughs> I feel like now you know why that was available. No, I don't know. Like, I, there were cars in the parking lot, so I don't know if everyone else was just oblivious or if the ticks just really liked us. I think Hoosier National Forest is the closest thing we have on Earth to the valley in your book. Because we went camping there <laughs> once growing up, and I got bitten by something and had spots on my ankles for three months afterwards. Don't go to food no. <laughs> I was an indoor gorgeous. kid. I'm still an indoor kid. <laughs> it's gorgeous. It's stunning. The views are beautiful. Um, but, you know, have good bug spray. Uh, yeah. 
And then, I guess, in the same vein, uh, since we are here in Kentucky and we are a folklore podcast, do you have a favorite Kentucky ghost story or cryptid or piece of folklore? Um, I took a, there's like a, I don't know if they still do it, but a few years ago there was a tour of Old Louisville, like a ghost tour of Old Louisville. And I really liked um, some of the stories there. And I think the most interesting one was the guy who ran the uh, tour. His name was David Domine or Domine. Domine, yeah. I was like, I don't, I'm probably saying that wrong. Um, but he, he, when he first moved to Louisville, he bought this Victorian house in on 3rd Street. And when he bought it, they said, like, oh, there's a ghost. And he was like, at first I didn't really, I, this is what I remember him saying. It's like, at first he didn't really believe in ghosts, but... Um, like stuff would fall off the wall and he said he like did some research and he figured out that the ghost was probably like a nurse or like a maid that had worked in the house and he said once he like figured that out and sort of like announced like I know who you are like he said all activity stopped and then he but then he sold the house to a guy this part like it gets interesting to me he sold the house to a guy who wanted it because it had a ghost and then that guy was just like disappeared six months later no like the house was abandoned like nobody knows what happened to this guy why 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 jesus god oh my gosh that's the best thing i think i've ever heard and i think that house was like in foreclosure when like like when i was looking to buy a house like about a month before it was in foreclosure and i'm kind of like dang it curses no i think uh i've actually read one of Domine's books for another live show we did. And I think the most interesting thing that I learned is that the his theory for why so many houses in Old Louisville are allegedly haunted is that it is apparently a known thing in the ghost hunting community that natural stonework tends to have better resonance for hauntings and the majority of original old Louisville construction has some, you know, local limestone in the foundation. But but I wonder if it's just like a thing that's like causation isn't necessarily correlative because is it just like that's how they built houses and like ghosts are more likely to be in older houses sort of thing? Yes. Who knows? <laughs> this is all predicated on our ghosts real. And the answer is yes, probably the one in our house that keeps knocking things over in my study. But Well, if you have ADHD, you'll never know if you have a ghost. <laughs> you'll just think that you did it. Fair and valid oh. and so true. <laughs> Amazing. Alright, so for people who are listening to this podcast, who are inevitably going to find your book and read it and fall in love with it or be like me and read it anyway and have the poop scared out of them. <laughs> um, what, if they want more like it, what are some books or who are some authors that you would suggest they go to next? Um, well, if you want something kind of similar, I would recommend The Troop by Nick Cutter or The Law of the Skies by Gregoire or Toy, I don't know how to say his name. Um, if you search the laws of the skies, you'll find it. Okay. Um, I think if you liked the historical aspects, you would probably like any of Alma Tatsu's books. Um, she mainly writes historical horror, so it's historical fiction where she sort of twists it into, like, um, horror. Okay. Right. And um, I also, just a couple of reads that I really enjoyed um, this past year 
were um, Nestlings by Nat Cassidy and The Marigold by Andrea Sullivan and The Shoemaker's Magician by Cynthia Palaio. Palaio. I'm probably saying that wrong too. I still need to read Nestlings. I thought Mary by Nat Cassidy was one of my top books of last year. Um, and I still need to read Cynthia Paleo's next book. I love Children of Chicago. I don't read horror except when I have to for the podcast. <laughs> so, but See, historical horror sounds vaguely interesting. I would maybe try that. Yeah. I think you'd like the fairy tale aspect of Children of yeah. Chicago, actually. Okay, so when I read it and I need to call my therapist, I bill you. <laughs> I mean, no, because your insurance won't let that happen, but... Well, crap. <laughs> okay. All right. So, you know, obviously, this book is fantastic. Um, you're about to go out on a little book tour for this. Uh, what else is next? Um, well, I'm working on the next book that will be with Quirk, but it hasn't really been announced yet, so I don't know, like, how much right. more yeah. I can say. We'll keep your secret. We won't post that online, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so working on a tight deadline for the next book. And, um, yeah, still just trying to do all the other things I need to do. Yep. What? You're busy? (laughs) Working full-time and owning a bookstore and writing? Yeah. And where can people follow, especially at the bookstore? I know my nephew loves all things spooky, and he has seen pictures. And next time he comes to Louisville, like, if I don't take him, I think he might actually murder me for all that he is seven. Um, Butcher Cabin Books is pretty much everywhere. We're at Horror Bookstore on Instagram and TikTok. We don't really post TikToks because we're old and don't know how to do any of that. Um, very well, um, and it's at books underscore ky on Twitter. I'm not going to say the other name because I don't believe in that. Um, and our website is horrorbookstore.com. And for me personally, you can go to jennykiefer.com, and then I'm at underscore jennykiefer pretty much everywhere. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for having us here, and. Yeah, Yeah. we're looking forward to see what happens next. Yeah, Yeah. me too. Thank you so much. We really appreciate this. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for being here. And thank you, everyone, for listening. So, uh, sweet dreams and caffeinated nightmares, everybody. Good night. Thank you for listening to Graveyard Coffee Talk. Our theme music is Pretty Little Dead Girls by Seanan McGuire copyright 2006, and used with permission. Our cover art is by Kyle Welsh. If you want to keep the chat going, please visit our website at graveyardcoffeetalk.com for transcripts, episode notes, and more. Follow us on Instagram at graveyardcoffeetalkpod or on Twitter at talkgraveyard. Six to